churches. Uh, this morning, Pastor Malachi shared about our supported missionaries during our equip hour, and he introduced us to what the Lord is doing through those partners that we have partnered with to take the gospel to the nations, both locally and globally. Uh, this morning, as we are celebrating and thinking about uh, our mission as a church, I am excited to be able to introduce Chris Dawkins. Uh, he is pastor of Grace Church in Peoria. He is also the executive director of the Grove Church Planning Network, a new network that we have come together uh, to create with a number of other pastors from the area to plant churches here in Arizona. Uh, in fact, uh, I would like for Chris to come on up. Uh, now, many of you, as you see Chris, recognize him. Uh, you recognize him because he's a good friend, uh, not just of mine, but of our church. He actually led music for us for six, six months or a year yeah, when I first got here. So he's been a, a big blessing to us in the past and has often joined us for a variety of events. But we are grateful to have him here with us. I thought it would be helpful uh, just to ask him a few questions about the Grove Church Planning Network uh, before he preaches uh, and before I get a chance to pray for us and for missions and for him. Uh, so here we go, Chris. Uh, I've got a number of questions here for you. We'll see how many we can get through. Okay. Okay, question one. Uh, how did the Grove come about? Can I say something first before I answer that question? Well, you so, got the mic, so I guess. I just wanted to say, I got the mic now. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say uh, what a joy it is to be with you and what a joy it was to be a part of that equip hour and to hear all of the ways that God's using this church. And uh, the Grove is one part of that. And so now the question is what? Um, how did the Grove come about? So uh, really the Grove Church Plan Network is a network that's about, uh, about 10 years in the making really, um, because Josh, when he started to lead the, the Gospel Coalition Arizona chapter um, and gathered pastors up from around the city, began to develop friendships, relationships. Those relationships went deep and have gone deep and we've really been marinating together in the Gospel and what it means for our local churches and what discipleship looks like on the ground and numbers of what conferences and lunches and numbers of ways that we strengthen our local bodies. And um, out of that, about two years ago, Josh sent a letter to, uh, to a number of, of close friends that are pastors in the state, um, myself being included on that, so I appreciate that. And uh, really just asking us to dream together, what would it look like for us to plant churches together? All of us in this group of friends, um, we all have a vision to see disciple-making disciples and disciple-making churches that, that replicate. Um, but church planting is hard work. It's resource-heavy. And, and so how do we do this, you know, alone? And we could do this together better, perhaps together. And so um, out of that, that, that email came March 3rd, 2020. And then some other things happened in the life of the world around that time. And so nothing really happened for about six months. And then for the last year and a half, we've been working on... on um, galvanizing together a crew of people to uh, leaders, pastors of the churches in the, in the area to form what's now this church planning network with our hope to be to, to plant churches across the whole state. If God would give us that favor, we'd love to see, uh, we'd love to see five churches planted in the next 10 years. So, you know, we, we, we don't know what God will have for us yet. We're in the beginning phases, but it's really exciting. Um, we mutually love the people that we're, that we're going to be able to do this with and our churches love the gospel. So I gave you more than one answer, I think, for that question. Question two. Sorry. What's the Grove's mission? Our mission is to plant churches together. <laughs> healthy churches, planting healthy churches. And so we do that collaboratively. Our hope is to, uh, through training, identifying, assessing, training, deploying, coaching church planters and teams of people to go plant churches, that we can produce healthy churches that plant well and last a long time. So 
that's our mission. Very good. And what would you say is unique about the Grove? I mean, there are other church planning uh, agencies, networks out there. Right. What's unique about what we're trying to do? So there's a, there's a few things. Uh, one is it's a very um, Arizona-centric. So a lot of networks are planting all over the place. We want to conspicuously plant in Arizona. Um, we, are a local ch- we are local churches planting local churches. So this is not a denomination or anything like that. This is local churches who have our own respective missions and mission teams and those kinds of things collaborating together, working together cooperatively to see churches planted on the ground uh, here in Arizona. And then we have, you know, we have a number of distinctives that are similar to our churches share doctrinal distinctives and some things like expositional preaching and those kinds of things that um, will make our churches on the ground that we, that we work together to plant look you know, like cousin churches all across the, the state. And could you just share with us some of the other churches that are partnering together in this mission? Right now there are seven churches, so it's Redeeming Grace in Goodyear, John Dietrich, uh, Chris Newkirk, Whitten Avenue Bible Church, Chuck Newkirk, uh, Church on Mill, Trinity Bible Church, Grace Church, Andrew Gutierrez up in Prescott, Canyon Bible Church, and I'm forgetting one, Jim Johnson, Camelback Bible Church. So that's seven. There's one that's a applying to be the eighth. There's two others, I think two or three others that are talking to us about the possibility of it. And how is it this morning as we get ready to pray and as brothers and sisters, as they are thinking about this ministry, how can we particularly be praying for it? Yeah. So I was really inspired by the equip hour and how much ministry happens in the body. It's not just a pastor thing. This is the church. And so the biggest prayer I think would be for local, the churches that are a part of it, your church, to pray for your church because the, 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 if we're going to plant churches into the future, then the 17-year-old who's here today who, you know, is just trying to graduate high school may be the person that in 2031 is called to plant a church. And so these prayers begin now, praying for God to move in our bodies. And so I would just say pray for your church, pray for the local churches, pray that God would raise up church planters, that we could identify them well, train them well, send them off well. And, uh, and then also I would just say pray for the, the board of directors for this network that as we, we're in the early stages, so as we continue to build and as we continue to lay, you know, the rails that we're going to run on, that we do it wisely. That would be our prayer. Amen. Well, thanks so much, brother. Uh, you can go sure. ahead and take a seat, and we'll be uh, praying for you in just a moment. Let's give him a hand. Thanks so much for being here, brother. Looking forward to hearing you preach for us. But now at this time, we, we want to go to the Lord in, in prayer together. So let us pray. Father, this morning we come before you praising you that you are the God who brings life to dead places. Just like when the water hits our desert and the mountains come alive with sprouting grass, we know that your gospel goes forth and it hits dead hearts that are raised to newness of life in Christ. Father, we long to see spiritually dead people raised up here in Phoenix and in Peoria in Glendale, in the Philippines, in Indonesia, and throughout the globe for their good and their joy. Father, you are the God who saves. You are the God who is on mission to save a people who have no hope, who have no uh, destiny that is good, but you want to give them hope and a destiny of living with you forever in glory, praising and worshiping you, reflecting your majesty. So, Father, as we come here this morning, we exalt you, but we also confess that We too often are slow to share the gospel with those who are in need of hearing it. We are slow to use the life that you have given us to be fruitful in making disciples, of sharing the good news of your son Christ that gives life to those who are dead and far from you. 
Father, give us zeal to be fruitful disciple makers as we are transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came and gave his life, that we might live and live more abundantly, that we might be fruitful. Thank you that that union with Christ is the good root that promises that we will produce fruit. We ask this morning that Trinity would be a fruitful tree, that our people would grow in the fruits of the Spirit, and that we would grow in people coming to know Christ and having lives that are changed and seeking to make you known amongst the nations. Father, we're excited this morning. We're excited that you are at work and we see it all around us. Uh, Father, we're we're thankful this morning for the Grove Church Planning Network and the churches that have banded together. Father, we are humbly trusting you for a future of fruit and fruitfulness of healthy churches. Lord, we ask this morning uh, with Chris that you would bless the partner churches with greater health that you would help them to be healthy local churches, eager to see your name made great. We pray that you would raise up more churches that would want to join us in this mission of making much of your name through healthy local churches in Arizona. Lord, raise up church planners, uh, men who would have a heart for your gospel and to see your people shepherded well as a people who are a fruitful flock to the glory of your name. God, give wisdom to the Grove Network Board who is making decisions and planning. Uh, Father, all of those plans are humble and hopeful and ultimately dependent on you. Father, all of them are aimed at the glory of your name. And so, Father, we ask that you would empower, strengthen, and give them wisdom. Father, we're grateful that you're also at work amongst so many uh, missionaries, missionaries even that we support here at Trinity Bible Church. Father, we thank you for Lebrec Anthony in Jakarta, where he is equipping pastors to be able to go out and preach the word and shepherd your people faithfully. Father, we pray that you would bless and keep him and his wife, Lord, that you would help them to remain faithful in the task that they have before them. Father, we're thankful for Japhet Indico and his wife, Claire. Father, we thank you for the time that we had with Japhet as he was here as an intern and for the way that you have shaped and uh, you have grown him and the way that he is loving that congregation there. Father, thank you for preserving his life during the most recent typhoon. Thank you for the way that you were able to use him, that we were able to come alongside him and, and serving his fellow pastors and the people of his congregation and the people of his neighborhood. Lord, we ask that you would continue to help him to help those people rebuild their lives, but also, Lord, that in that, that you would give him many opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for Kurt and Leslie, who are serving with Indo Partners, for Brian and Leslie Ricky, as uh, they are uh, serving with crew and, and helping others know Christ and go and share Christ with the nations. Father, we remember Phil and Ellen Nichols, who also serve with the Jesus film. Father, we pray that you would bless these ministries, that those who are far from you would come to know Christ and be eager to go and share Christ with others. And Father, we remember Andy and Sarah Prime, who are serving at Grace Mount Church in Edinburgh. Father, we pray that you would bless Andy Prime's ministry, that you would grow the, the body of Christ there. Lord, that that group of unreached people that are uh, in those schemes, those poor neighborhoods of Edinburgh, Scotland, would come to know to Christ and they would uh, love to, to share others with others about the life-changing reality of who Jesus is. And so, Father, now we also 
as we prepare our own hearts to hear from your life-giving word, we ask that you would open our ears spiritually to be ready to hear from you. Father, we thank you for Christakis being with us. Father, we pray that you would be with his church this morning as they are hearing from the word and gathering as a people. But Lord, as we gather here today, we pray that you would help Chris to preach with power, Lord, that is seasoned with grace. Father, that you would help our ears to hear. Lord, speak to us and give us life, we pray. Now, as we prepare this time uh, to give, we ask that you would help us to be generous. And Lord, we ask that you would bless both gift and giver. It's in the name of your great son that we do pray. Amen. This morning's sermon text is Colossians 1, 1 through 14, which can be found on page 983 in the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before, the, before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to the, his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has glorified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Grace and peace to you from Grace Church on the Northwest Valley. We pray for you regularly. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for me. We are in Colossians 1, 3 through 14. Uh, it is a joy to be with you this morning, and that is not just something that pastors are supposed to say. I love being here with you at Trinity Bible Church and to see that all that God's doing and uh, as Josh mentioned, kind of going a little bit down memory lane and seeing people here this morning that I've known for a long time and to see familiar faces and some, some old friends, um, not even from this church, but from another church that I, I got to see this morning. Um, and it, made, it reminded me of just how much has changed and how much has stayed the same. About eight years ago, uh, we planted an apple tree in the back left corner of our backyard. A friend of ours had just planted it in their house and then suddenly got the news that they were going to move, and so they gave it to us, and we uprooted it carefully, and we planted it in the back corner of our house with the hope of someday eating our very own apple crisps with our own apples. Because as you know, Arizona doesn't have seasons. Like, how an apple tree could even grow in this state, I don't know. But we don't have seasons, and yet nothing says fall to me more than apple crisps. And so 
combination of the sweet cinnamon, sugar, and the apple melting together in this crumbly square of joy. Let's just call the service done. Let's go get ourselves some apple crisp. But we know Arizona doesn't have fall. And so fall arrives when my wife would make her famous apple crisp. And so we dug this deep hole in the ground and we planted the seedling tree uh, with the hope of someday eating from the fruit. We wanted to partake of our own apples from our own tree. And so we began to water it sun hit it, patiently tending to this tree. If you've planted a tree, you know that they're just these little thin things when you start, and these support systems that uh, hold it up, and it begins to root, and begins to grow, and begins to strengthen, and begins to grow branches, and then leaves, and then finally there was the first white buds on this tree. The first, these white buds, I want to see it on the big screen. These white buds, they represent hope. They represented the hope that this was working and that we were one day going to have our own apple crisps. And so we would have our own fruit. So we trimmed it and pruned this tree for about two more years before we finally saw it, the first fruit of the crop, which is a small, green, tiny apple. See how to zoom it in? See, make it look big. It was not that big. It was about this big. But they grew, and they grew, and they finally got to the spot where there was so much fruit on this tree. You can see in the left corner and the bottom and over to the right, and all through this tree, you could just see apples everywhere. And then finally, we picked these apples, and we overflowed our bags with apples from our own tree. Now, keep in mind, for some weird reason, this all happened in June. So it's like 105 degrees outside, and we're picking apples, and so we have to freeze them, and wait for the fall. But anyhow, we got apples on this tree. It was wonderful. It was an awesome day. It was like the culmination of years of effort of planting so that we could enjoy the fruit. You water with the hope of fruit. You watch it grow with the hope of fruit. And the church, as you know, is no different. It's a living organism. It's a, it's a collective organization that, that is alive, that is growing. It's not just growing here, but it's growing across the city, across the state, across the country, and across the continents. The church is alive. And each local church is like a tree that's planted into the ground, into the grove of God's orchard. And I, I share the joy of, of watching the tree grow with you. And with my church, Grace Church, we have the same message that you have here at Trinity, which is the gospel. And I have the joy of knowing your pastors really well. I carry deep respect for them and for the work they've done to lead this local church. And I'm honored that they'd ask me to preach. And I'm preaching this morning on why does God plant churches? Why does God plant churches? I thought that we could zoom out a bit, see from the scriptures what God is doing in it and through the church, why it's so important in the scheme of the world for God to plant churches. Why should you care about churches being planted and watered and growing and bearing fruit? That's what we're going to look at today. So we're not going to hit everything that's in Colossians 3 through 14, chapter 1, but we're going to have this overview of what's happening here in Colossians. And I want to, I wanted to say up front, I'm speaking a bit illustratively on this text from Grace Church, my church, and from Trinity Bible Church. Because even though we're thinking about why God wants to plant more churches, there is a very real sense in which this church and my church, we are the, we are the plant, we are the tree, and you are growing and you are alive. And so we're going to see that healthy churches replicate other healthy churches. Healthy churches bear fruit, and that fruit is to bear more fruit, and all of it so that we would know the joy of treasuring Christ and all of life. I'm stoked to be with you this morning. I get to preach to you. What a great joy. 
So let's pray together. The text has already been read. We'll pray, and then we'll look at Colossians 1. So Father, thank you that as we've multiple times now sung of your truth and bowed our heads and prayed over your truth, Lord, we ask you now to fill us with the, the Holy Spirit, that the words that you gave in this book, written to the Colossians so long ago, but are so relevant to us today, Lord, it would pierce our hearts, that you would give us a hope in the gospel today, that you would give us wisdom in the gospel today, that you would give us fruit in the gospel today for having been here, for having listened, for having sat under your word, and for the power of your Holy Spirit in and among us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to pick out three kind of overarching things from Colossians to answer the question, why does God plant churches? Why does he use us to plant? Why is he planting churches across the world? And the first is that God plants churches to give hope to the hopeless. God plants churches to give hope to the hopeless. We're going to see that from verses 3 through 8 and verses 13 and 14. This letter is written by the apostle Paul, who is writing under house arrest. He's writing to a group of fledgling group of people in the city of Colossae, a place where the gospel had never gone. There were no Christians at one point in this place, which is just like so many places today that I've, I've heard about even being here that are trying to be reached for the gospel at our church, at Grace Church. In two weeks, we're getting ready to, to launch a partnership with a, a long-term church plant in the uh, Central Asia region for the, what we hope to be the next 20 plus years. Um, to a people group who's never had any access to the gospel at all. That's literally every church at one point, and every city at one point, I mean. That's Colossae here. There's no church because there's no knowledge of Christ in this place. The city is dark. The soil is hard. How are they going to hear about Christ? And then here comes Epaphras, who we learn later on is a beloved fellow servant. He was known to them He was loved by them. He was a servant to them. Epaphras comes along into this dark city that's never heard about Jesus. And he begins to scatter seeds all over the city, wherever he's going, as he's speaking about Christ, as he's talking about Christ, as he's he's giving out the gospel. He's seeing where these seeds might take root and where they might begin to grow. Epaphras is doing the work of a church planter. He's doing the work of a missionary. He's doing the work of a pastor. He's doing the work of an evangelist. He's scattering seeds. And something amazing takes place in the city of Colossae. The word is getting out, and it's spreading, that something amazing is happening here because somewhere in the process of him scattering the seeds, he finds a patch of fertile soil in the hearts of some of the people in the city, and the smallest white buds begin to form in their hearts, begin to burst through and show itself in the establishment of this church. Those white buds represent hope, the hope of a God who is alive, the hope of a God who deals with sins. People are hearing this news from Epaphras, and they, you know what? They actually start believing that it's true, and it changes their lives. We see here in the text the the kinds of seeds that he's spreading. We see what kind of news is Epaphras talking about. We know from this passage and from the rest of the book, it's the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 5, Of this you have heard before, when Epaphras came, in the word of the truth, comma, the gospel. 
wants to clarify, the word of the truth is the gospel which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. The news that, God, that Paul is thanking God for is the news that the gospel has taken root in this darkened city. That the gospel is taking root through the brother, Epaphras, the church planter, missionary, friend, co-worker, pastor, evangelist. And this news is now beginning to turn lives right side up and beginning to infiltrate this dark city. Now the church begins to grow and it begins to bear all sorts of fruit from this little seed that gets planted into the ground. In fact, that's how Paul is, is hearing about this. You notice that it says he's hearing a testimony of their lives, a testimony of their lives being changed. He says, we pray for you since we heard. And what did he hear? He heard their testimony of how God was changing them, of their love for the saints this love that's being expressed into the sacrifices of their lives, the way that they're living their lives for one another. He hears of their faith, their faith, their love. It's mixing together into this explosive concoction. And their example is compelling. It's now spreading. And Paul says all of this is happening because of the seed that's been planted in them, which is the word of truth, which is the gospel. Why is the gospel so powerful? Why is the gospel so explosive? Why is the gospel the mechanism that God uses? And it's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gracious declaration of sins forgiven and relationship with God restored to the glory of God. That's what the gospel is. It's this awesome, life-changing news that through Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored. And from there, everything begins to toss and turn in the right direction. I imagine the people of Colossae were people just like you, just like me. They go to their work. They go to their jobs. They're raising families. They're trying to make ends meet. They're trying to put food on the table. And with no gospel presence, they have no true hope as to where hope comes from in life. There's no place for it to come. What's the point of life? Success, affluence, influence, comfort, self-achievement, get more, do more, accomplish more, be more. All of these things offer out this hope that if you get that, then life will be good. Or if you submit yourself to religious practices and, and, and sort of religious conformity to a bunch of rules, then you'll be good enough and you'll be counted as good enough. And if you're good enough and counted good enough, then your life will be good. And so people set off to do all of these things trying to keep them and do them so they can feel like they've done good enough and that they are good. This was my religion in uh, my early 20s as I was a college student in the University of Denver in Colorado. This was the religion I bought for 20 years. Success, affluence, influence, self-achievement, do more, be more, get more. Don't be a complete jerk to you know, the people around you and everything's gonna work out good for you. That was my gospel. And Epaphras comes to this town with an entirely different kind of message. It's a message of a bloody cross. It's a message about a Messiah who dies in our place. 
It's a message about a Messiah who dies in our place because no matter how hard you try for success and affluence and influence and comfort and self-achievement, no matter how hard you try and how hard you work for all of those things, there is no way for you to be good enough in the sight of God. There's nothing you can do to hold yourself up before God and say, look at me, I've done it all. No, he comes with a totally different message. He comes telling them about their sin. Sin is is not acting or thinking or feeling in a way that glorifies God. It is a trusting in the wisdom of self rather than the wisdom of God. And Epaphras comes and tells them that each one of them has sinned and that their sin is a moral offense against God. They've exchanged worship, God's worship that he deserves for the worship of self and that those sins deserve punishment, even death, even hell. Now, I didn't live back then, but I can tell you this much. I know that that is not a popular message. He's not strolling into town, you know, flipping his umbrella. I guess they really didn't have umbrellas back then, but whatever they had, and he's it would be so much easier to come into a town and tell them, God loves you indiscriminately. He just loves you. Your everyone is God's child, and so on. But that is not the word of truth. The word of truth begins like this. You are a sinner, and everyone in this room fits that bill. But thankfully and shockingly, that's not the full story. The word of truth begins, you are a sinner, but it continues. God punishes our sin, the sin of of his, his creation, of his people. You, me, the Colossians, he punishes sin on Jesus when he dies on a cross so that we could in Jesus, by faith in him, find forgiveness with God. That's the whole truth. We're sinners, yes, but God rescues sinners through Christ. He punishes him in our place. Jesus takes the wrath that we deserve on his own shoulders because he was God in the flesh. And that's the message that Epaphras is preaching to this dark city. Now, I would imagine that all of this sounds kind of crazy, right? He walks into town and he starts, pre- he starts preaching and sharing and people are like, what are you talking about? Why would anyone... In Colossae or in Phoenix, believe that. Why should you believe that? And the answer is very simply because Jesus didn't stay dead. Because I don't know if this dot has connected for you yet, but when people die and don't stay dead, you tend to take what they say a little bit more seriously, right? When people die and then don't stay dead, you tend to give them a bit more authority in what they're saying. And Jesus, not only did he die and then rise again, he called his shot. He told his disciples he would rise in three days and he was resurrected in three days. And Jesus is alive and he proved it and he showed himself to over 500 witnesses and he sends his his messengers, his apostles and his disciples out into the world to offer this forgiveness in Jesus' name to all of the world to bring sinners into his love and into his kingdom if they're willing to trust him, repent from their sins, and put their faith and confidence in him. Then they will be, they will be saved. That's the end of this whole passage, and it's the bedrock for church planting. I want to read the end of this section when it says this. He, through this gospel, he has, 
delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's Colossae, that's Peoria, that's Phoenix, that's Arizona. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is incredible news. I can guarantee you this. I don't know much. I can guarantee you this. That's the best news you're going to hear all day. And I hope you believe it. I hope you believe it. It is life-changing news. It is eternity-changing news. You go from darkness and blindness to light, to love, to joy. The insecurities of this crazy and chaotic world being replaced with a confidence in the hope of heaven with God forever. That is the message that grips this church. They believed and their addresses changed from darkness into light. And then they begin to change from the inside out because inside of them has been laid up this hope, this hope of heaven that surpasses even the, the futility of the grave. And all of this is by grace. They did nothing to make this happen. We do nothing to make this happen. This is the initiative of God to bring it to pass. And apart from him, we can do nothing to make it effective. It's his doing from beginning to the end, which is why in verse 6 it says, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This is exactly what we here at Trinity Bible Church and what my church, Grace Church, needs to hear again this morning. We need and we have the grace of God. We have the grace of God. You might have walked in this morning and not even known that you had sins or might not have even known that you needed forgiveness. Sure didn't know where to find it and it's here. It's exactly what you need and exactly what I need. We need this morning more than anything else in all of the world, we need the grace of God and we have it in Christ. I'm going to put it into the negative, because we have the grace of God as Christians, but to put it in the negative, without the gospel, there is no real hope. There is no lasting hope. There's no eternal hope. It's all contrived hope on how to make life better here. You can have strategies, and you can have tactics, and you can make a ton of money, and you can buy rich properties, but you don't have any ultimate hope because all of life begins to bottleneck and funnel into this death experience. And so without the gospel, there is no true hope. There's no transfer out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son without the gospel. Without the gospel, there's no redemption for the brokenness in the world. I got to hear about the numbers of ways that you as a church are trying to, you know, in essence, like through the gospel, push back the darkness. Without the gospel, there's no hope for heaven. But with the gospel... And it's, it's really not much more complicated than this. Having tasted of the goodness of the grace of God yourselves, you believe that the gospel gives ultimate hope. Hope for forgiveness. Hope for redemption. Hope for heaven. And when you come to know the grace of the gospel, guess what? Your life begins to change. And that's what they see here. He hears of this testimony of the church. Epaphras comes. He sows the seeds of the gospel. They believe the gospel takes root in their hearts. Those little white buds start to form up inside of them. And look at the testimony of what's happening now. Paul says he's heard of their faith. He's heard of their love for all of the saints. He's heard of the transformation. It's working. God's power is at work. They're living different lives. Lives that are not like anchored to the hope of earth, but now anchored to the hope of heaven. That is why God plants churches. That's why 
I'm not talking about your mission statement, but that's why Trinity Bible exists. That's why Grace Church exists. We say it differently. That's why we exist. That's why we must plant more churches. God plants churches to give hope to the hopeless, and we are all hopeless apart from the gospel. Second thing I want us to see this morning is that God plants churches to give wisdom for life. So after Paul thanks God for them, their testimony, their faith, their love, he tells them he's praying specifically for them. I want you to zero in with me on verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now that sentence is going to go on, and we're going to explain it a bit more. But he wants them to know something. He wants them to know God's will for their lives. Now, some people take this verse and they try to turn it into this, you know, a quest for the elusive center of God's perfect will, his perfect plan for their life through personal revelation. And like, I want to be right in the center and they get paralyzed with what to do because they want to make sure it's this perfect application of what God wants them to do. So God, show me which job to take. Show me which girl I should date. Show me which degree program you want me to to do, and and so on and so on. And ironically, God does sometimes orchestrate life circumstances and opportunities with desire so that it becomes surprisingly clear what you're to do next. Sometimes he does give a prophetic direction that, that influences the decision and results in a course of action. But this prayer here he's praying is less about that kind of revelation and more about the kind that comes from knowing the, the mind of God in the Word. Knowing the mind of God will result in the kind of spiritual wisdom and understanding that will allow you as a believer to look at all of life through the filter of what God loves and what God's about and be able to make a wise, skillful decision. He's praying that they would know the word of truth that's been planted in them with the gospel, that they would continue to water it. This is a watering, planted and watering the implications of the gospel. Churches are planted to give wisdom for life. By knowing God in his words. There's nothing more central to the work of ministry than this. Preach the word. Sing the word. Pray the word. Talk the word. Discuss the word. If you want to discern the will of God for your life, what's good, what's acceptable, what's perfect, you don't need clairvoyance. You need to know the word. You know this illustration. You study the original so that you can then discern the counterfeits. We need to know the word. And when a church studies the gospel and knows the gospel and meditates on the gospel on Sunday mornings and in small groups and the application of the gospel in various ways is talked about and prayed about and debated and tried for a season, then the wisdom of the gospel begins to come forward and you can begin to discern what God wants you to do in your life in light of what you know. The counterfeits become known, the real money becomes known. Now, Josh and I have been friends for almost 13 years, which is pretty crazy to think about. And, I, and like, as you mentioned, you know, I was here for a, a short season. Uh, imagine if you were coming to Trinity, and some of this is true for you, so if you're one of these people, good for you. Imagine you've come to Trinity Bible Church since 2009 or 2010, okay? And you never missed a Sunday, ever. Like even the Sundays Josh misses, you're here, right? You're here every single Sunday. Imagine how God would have shaped your mind through the regular, consistent preaching of the Word, You'd be like a good few chapters into the book of Romans, excited about Romans, right? You'd understand what a happy life is, 
through, the, through Matthew 5 and what a true biblical happy life is. You'd understand the local church through a churchology series. You'd have true knowledge for today and for the last day through 2 Peter. You would understand the God who was sovereign through the book of Habakkuk. You would understand the divinity of Jesus through the seven I am statements. You would understand the covenants and the role of David in the covenants and leadership through King David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. You'd understand the nature of temptation and how to battle against temptation. You would understand Jonah and 1 Peter. You'd be hopeful exiles. You'd understand some of the Psalms and Isaiah and the five solas and the Gospel of Mark and the book of Haggai. And that's just through 2016, which is on your website. Like, there's still double that. And that is how you've been formed and shaped by the Word of God. Trinity Bible Church, thankfully, joyfully, from a distance, I can say this is totally true, has been unapologetically built on one message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's every message, that's every Bible study, it's every devotional, that's every theology class, every outreach opportunity. It's, it's about Christ, the glory of the Father by the power of the Spirit. That's where Trinity Bible Church lives. And so in all of your singing and praying and equip classes and pulse meetings and Super Bowl parties and picnics, you're being formed and shaped. If you just show up to church with the other believers and give your heart to God, you'll be formed, you'll be shaped, you will have maturity. It'll mature you. You don't need, I mean, there's lots of things you can do that are good for you, but just do that and it will mature you over life. Here's some proof of that over the last decade. So Josh said I was an interim worship leader here at Trinity for I think it was about eight months or nine months or something like that. I think it was 2010. Man, I'm getting old, so I don't really remember all these exact dates. But when I was leading worship here, I was, I, I, there's a number of people, I've talked to some of you this morning, who um, played in the band, in the worship team. And I played with one drummer who was 17 years old at the time, which I found to be incredibly impressive because most 17-year-olds aren't volunteering uh, to, to play in bands and coming to practice on Thursday nights and then showing up to church on Sundays. And so I thought that was a pretty impressive thing. Uh, I have a 17-year-old now uh, son, and so I kind of see like, okay, well, this is what a 17-year-old life is like. Um, and that 17-year-old has stayed connected to the wisdom channel of the church, has been discipled, is discipling others. He got married, had a kid, had another kid, became a firefighter, and now Kevin Schneider is serving in youth ministry and invited us to be a part of a camp that Trinity Bible Church is doing. And it's just a wonderful thing to see. That's one story of a, a whole group of you in this church being transformed by the word of God over time. We used to go to the same gym for a season. Now he's ditched me. I'm a bit bitter. That's a different sermon altogether. But the point is this. God plants churches to give hope to the hopeless and to give wisdom in life. Right? We're doing life together. Trinity Bible Church is doing life together so that you'll get wisdom from God. And all of this fruit is meant to fully ripen. God plants churches to bear fruit that fully ripens. Verses 10 through 12, this is our third point. We see that the gospel is bearing fruit, it says, in Colossae and around the world. What an encouragement, right, to get that letter and think, wow, this is, this is happening everywhere. It's increasing. And Paul prays that they would have this knowledge, not just so that their church would become, you know, rich and famous and that the Pastors would have jets and could travel to do their international ministry or anything like that. No, he says this in verse 10. Here's what God wants. He wants to bear fruit so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that the church would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner. 
worthy of the Lord. That's what he wants. Fully pleasing to him. This is how we know this is what he wants. It's fully pleasing to him to have the church walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is what ripened fruit looks like. It's not a church that that grows huge and takes over the city, though if that happens because of genuine spiritual revival and conversion and renewal, and that happens, yes, praise God, bring that on. But that's not the goal. The goal is that the fruit of the gospel would be seen in the kind of transformed lives of the people in the church. You, in your internal character, and in the renewing power that comes from the Holy Spirit as you live your life for Christ, that's the fruit that God is bearing and he wants to bear. That's the fruit that's pleasing to him. And then he teases out what this fruit-bearing church looks like in 10 and 11 and 12. He says, serving God, right, verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work, serving God. Now, I know within this body there are stories of love and kindness and sacrifice. One of the things I just want you to know that's so impressive to me and to the churches of this, uh, this city is how Trinity Bible Church serves the rest of the state with conferences, like the conference that's coming up in two weeks. And I know a number of you are going to be here on your weekend or on your Friday night serving so that people can come in and hear the word of truth, the gospel, as it applies to marriages. And I'm just so grateful for you and for this church for hosting so many conferences over the years that continue to impact this city. So you serve. You come to the knowledge of God. You're studying together. You're being equipped. You're sitting under the word in all the various contexts that this church has. Verse 11, you're being strengthened by God. With all power, he says, according to his glorious might, and then I love this, for all endurance and patience with joy. I love it because I find it really interesting that that's what the goal of being strengthened for. That's why he's saying you should be strengthened. It's not so that you can get comfortable. It's because life is hard. Why else would you need endurance and patience? Unless life is hard and irritable. And hasn't it been hard and irritable for the last few years? Being a church is not easy. There have been low moments for you, low moments for your family, low moments for your pastors. You've faced innumerable trials and tragedies, sicknesses, death of loved ones, COVID closures, masks, debate about COVID closures and masks, trying to figure out who to trust, where to trust, who to go. I actually, I looked at some old pictures the other, the other day, and I told my wife, from the early days of planting our church, I said, I feel like we're on a nonstop flight, and we don't realize how much we've aged until, you know, we're still, we're still going. Because real life is messy and hard, and sometimes it just, it just stinks. And that's why we need the power of the gospel to endure. Think about that. Think about that. That's, that's the victorious Christian life. In some way, the one who endures, the one who by the strength of God alone bends but doesn't break, the one who in the face of a trial has a sense of patience, yes, dare I say, even joy in knowing God and knowing that he's with you in it, that is a marker of fruit. So serving and knowing God and being strengthened and then lastly, being thankful to God, to be a thankful people. It says, giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has qualified you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Oh, friends, it all goes back to grace. 
It all goes back to grace. None of us deserve the grace that we have been given. It comes from God. He lavishes it on us. We don't deserve it, but he lavishes it on us. It's like one big-time gift from God. He qualifies us who were in the dark to get to be a part of the lights and to get the inheritance that's coming, that's laid up for us in heaven. The hope is real. The hope is solid. And so we are the church, and we must plant churches that preach this gospel. It was 13 years ago, God dug a hole in the northwest valley of Phoenix, and he planted a seedling tree known as Grace Church. We were small. We were 28 people. We were fragile, needing a lot of help to grow, to get strong, and God brought it every step of the way. He planted, he watered, he trimmed, he pruned, all with the expectation that the church would grow and bear fruit. I don't mean numerically grow, I mean grow spiritually, vitality, and bear fruit. So this brave group of people packed up their stuff, sold their houses, some got different jobs, moved to a different city with what turned out to be a very different culture and different neighborhoods with one purpose, to see God do what only God can do, which is to plant and water and grow and bear fruit. And somehow, over the last 13 years, God has kept this little tree standing upright with its little sticks on it, you know, to make sure it doesn't fall over, in the cold, in the frost, through the monsoons, as he waters and grows and strengthens. And at the exact same time as that's happening, Trinity Bible Church is being watered and grown and and, and bearing fruit in the soil of the gospel. And God has kept your tree standing upright in the cold, in the frost, in the monsoons, and at the same time, redeeming grace, and at the same time, Church on Mill, and at the same time, Witten Avenue Bible Church, and at the same time, hundreds of churches across the state and across the country. And we want to join together with other like-minded churches to plant churches just like ours so that we can enjoy the fruit to the glory of God. And here's my closing. Here's what I've come to learn. Here's what I've come to learn in 13 years of planting. While we plant with the hope of enjoying the fruit, God plants with the certainty of enjoying the fruit. We hope, but God is certain he will bear his fruit because his glory is tied up with his name in the church, and he will never fail his name, not once. So here's how you can be involved three ways. And these are going to seem a bit like more high level, but I would, I would honestly ask for you to think about it and if, if even commit to doing these three things in very tangible, real ways, however you figure out how to do this. First, Support your local church. Support Trinity Bible Church so that as we try to plant churches together, we have a healthy model to plant from. It it doesn't do us any good for us to be unhealthy and then plant unhealthy churches, right? That's actually worse. We don't want to do that to Jesus' name. We want to be healthy churches that plant healthy churches. And so healthy churches, one thing I love about what we're trying to do with the Grove Network is You, the members of Trinity Bible Church, play a significant role in whatever church plant comes down the road because of who you are, because of how you live, because of your testimony of faith, because of your testimony of love that gets replicated out in whatever churches get planted. 
So if you're tangentially tied here, I would, I would encourage you, as somebody who's not even from here, and I don't get a commission for this, I just would say, I love this church, be a part of it. Come, throw yourself into it. Be involved. So that's one. Support your local church. Two would be to pray for church planters and for the, the Grove Church Plant Network. And I mean, we're, we're, we're currently praying. I said in the equip hour, we don't have anyone that's like, we have like our first candidate. We're praying about who God might bring to us. We want to plant out of our churches so these people are known, coming from our DNA. And so play, pray that God would raise up church planters. Pray for even the teenagers in the church, the 17-year-olds in the church, and so on, who the Lord may be preparing even now to plant church number five in 2031. So pray, support, pray, and then third, consider preparing even now to serve when that day comes in some way, whether through prayer, whether through time, whether through a certain skill, or whether you should go and join the church plant that happens so that the fame of God would spread as he plants, waters, grows, that fruit would be born. What a wonderful vision God has given us in the gospel. Thank you for having me preach. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, you've opened our eyes this morning and opened our hearts to what was happening in this town and what was happening across the world, that fruit was being born and even increasing. And in the midst of this crazy, chaotic world that we're living in right now where it can be so easy to turn on the news or flip open some social media app and see the destruction that's happening in Eastern Europe and to see the, just the, the, the destruction and of sin that's, that's all around us in various bite-sized forms to get lost in our hope and to get discouraged. But Lord, you've anchored us to a risen Savior who's proven himself faithful. So I pray that you would give us each courage, faith, love, joy, that we would play our parts in helping to see this gospel go forward here at Trinity Bible, Grace Church, the Grove Church Planning Network, all of the missionary efforts that we've prayed for already this morning, all of the institutions that are being supported. Shine light in the darkness, we pray in Jesus' name.